The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the AABT program portion of The Breakfast. My name is Carla Hayes. And I am the AABT, American Association of Blind Teachers, convention chairperson. Okay, we have a few announcements, first of all, before I introduce our our speaker. And you're going to find this very interesting. Okay, I want to do some thank yous first. I want to thank, um, well, of course, Chanel and Bryn Lee, who is our streamer, and Jeanette Kutash, who's going to be our Zoom host. And um, another announcement I want to make is if you would like to join the American Association of Blind Teachers, please see, or for those of you online, contact Donna Brown, our treasurer. And our current dues are as follows, 25 for teachers who are currently teaching, $20 a year for retired or um, people who are not teaching but sort of interested in our organization and want to promote our causes and join in in our wonderful activities, and $10 for students of education. So um, we would love to have you. We really would. We're a dynamic organization, and we do a lot, and we have a lot of fun. So um, another thing I would like to announce is a reminder of our um, convention schedule for this week. You are already here for the breakfast. And again, people in, um, who are joining us from home, I hope you made something good to eat. We couldn't Zoom the breakfast. I just couldn't arrange that at the last minute, and I do apologize for that. I did try, but the AIs weren't cooperating with us. So so anyhow, I tried. I even asked Alexa, and she wouldn't do it. So go figure. She must be on strike. So anyhow, let me just um, you know um, tell you about our programming on Monday, we're going to have a session with Mark Arneson from Hadley, and we're going to find out about what's new in Hadley or at Hadley. And it's going to be in this same room for those of you who are here, Schaumburg E. And for those of you who are at home, I don't know where it'll be. You'll have to consult with your home host, maybe in your living room or the kitchen table, but that's up to you. All right. Then on Tuesday, we're going to join um, we're going to join um, Lua and BRL and a whole bunch of them for Jason Yasner from NLS. He's going to give us an update from NLS. And on Wednesday, we are um, we can't sponsor this, but for our field trip, you know, teachers love field trips. We are recommending the Horizons for the Blind tour. So, um, so that's that's our announcements. So, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, I would like to open our program. We're going to have a, um, our topic is broadcasting um, past, present, and future. And we have a delightful speaker. Her name is Andrea Darlis, and she is an um, Emmy-nominated, award-winning radio and television news anchor slash reporter and um, talk show host. And she's based in Chicago. And in 2019, she was inducted into the prestigious WGN Radio Walk of Fame. And she is currently senior director of, um, you know, uh, you know, she's she's um, she works for the University of Illinois as well, and uh, and our 
I'm going to let her give most of the introduction because I'm probably blowing it miserably because I want to get to her, you know, and you don't want to hear my voice all the time. So, because I'm, I'm sharing it with Bertha the bullfrog this morning too. So anyhow, so without any further ado, I am going to introduce Andrea Darlis for our presentation. Thank you. Thank so you, Carla. Thank you so much. I'm so, so happy to be here. This is uh, one of my, this is a wonderful event and uh, I'm going to tell you why. Uh, it's not only a pleasure, it's an honor. Just want to make sure everybody can hear me okay on Zoom and in the room. Everybody okay? Okay, very good. Very good. Uh, I'm going to be walking around the room too because it's uh, what I tend to do is, is pace and, and walk when I talk. Uh, so I will uh, try to condense my remarks to the allotted time. I tend to uh, be a little long-winded. So if at any point you have any questions on anything that I'm talking about, I'm going to give a nice little overview of broadcasting radio specifically because that's my forte. And I know secretly, wink, wink, that's all of our favorite medium as well. 100%. I spent 30 years uh, in radio. Uh, I started when I was uh, very young in the, in the crib is what I like to say. Again, wink, wink. I want to tell you, first of all, though, why it is an honor for me to be here. In 2009, I was a reporter at WGN Radio here in Chicago, and that's 720 on your AM dial. Yep, I know we have a lot of radio fans here. Oh, I know it was my home for 23 years and, and still is. I have lifelong friendships and partnerships. Um, in 2009, so going a little bit back, I was sent to cover a story at Navy Pier, and it was a brand new attraction in Chicago. It was a hot air balloon that would soar up into the sky, and it was tethered. So you were able to ride it up to 14 passengers plus the operator, and they would go up on any given ride. And it was a limited attraction. It was only there for a couple of weeks, and passengers would be required to wear a harness attached to the gondola to prevent them from falling out. It was a 15-minute ride, and the ride would carry passengers 35 stories up into the air. Yeah, it was a simple story, or so I thought, one that I wasn't used to covering. You know, I was used to going to City Hall and covering City Council meetings at the Daily Center or covering a trial at the courthouse, but this was a hot August day, and I was sent to cover this hot air balloon. And once I settled in, put my helmet on, we soared high above the city skyline. And I began to take notes and file my reports on uh, what, what we called a tape recorder back in those days. And right. <laughs> so when I went back to the radio station, I filed my stories. They aired and I got a phone call in our newsroom from our landline. And it was a woman on the other end. She said, I thought this was someone pulling my leg and, and making fun. She said, I want to tell you how wonderful your report was from earlier today from that hot air balloon. And she was very serious. She said, the way I described the sun rising in between the buildings, the red and the yellow and the blue hues that surrounded the hot air balloon as the hot red and orange flames soared up through the balloon making it fly across the bright blue skies and the white puffy clouds. She described this report back to me verbatim. And I said, why this report? Why did this strike you so? And she said, well, first of all, I'm a teacher. And she said, I'm blind. And I, I was, you know, I, I kind of welled up with tears a little bit. And I thought, wow, this story meant so much to this person just because of the way I described it. The, just the beauty of it all. 
And that's why I really mean this speech and this keynote is so important to me. Uh, so when people say to me, what was the coolest story you ever covered? It's not a corruption trial. It's not a murder mystery or anything. It's that one. So for that reason, little, just a very quick little story there. Or maybe not so quick. Again, remember, remember, I'm a little long-winded. So uh, this is also why I was hired to do TV news at WGN-TV in 2010. The news director said to me, I always hire radio reporters because they can describe a scene like no one else. Right? TV reporters, and, and this is no slam against, we have wonderful TV reporters in Chicago and across the country, but they rely very heavily on pictures. Radio reporters are trained to describe what they're seeing and covering for those who are in the car, at home, on their computers. Uh, So let me pop back just a little bit. I had my first radio job in 1991, and it was at a little radio station in Champaign-Urbana on the campus of the University of Illinois. WPGU, Parade Ground Unit. It was a tribute to all of our soldiers who had fought in the war. Wonderful, good memory. Uh, So I was a second-semester freshman, and I knew I wanted to be on the radio more than anything in the world. So I auditioned for my college radio station. I trained for a semester and was told that year that I would be a DJ and the shift was three to six. And I thought, oh, this is great. 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., right? I could take my class, <laughs> right? I could take my classes in the morning and then go head over to the radio station, which by the way, was in the basement of a college dormitory. And the program director said, no, 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 no. They- 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. One day a week. And I called my mom back in Orland Park, Illinois, here in the south suburbs. And I told her and she said, absolutely not. You are not going to do 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. walking in the dark. It was the 90s. So it wasn't like it was today. Late 80s, I should say, too. But uh, I, I quickly called the program director back and I said, I'm in. And I took it. <laughs> so so that that launched my radio career and my love for radio. And I had uh, an opportunity at one point to do a television internship. And I said, no, I really want to stay in radio for the storytelling. You know, I, I call it visual storytelling, as you as you all would probably agree to that. Uh, so anyway, I moved on to a different radio station in Champaign, WLRW. And then post-college, I worked at a station in Joliet called WJOL. And that was in Joliet. Yep. And then in uh, 1997, I moved up to WGN in Chicago and I had been there ever since until 2019. I still freelance for them and some other stations in the market. WLS is another one. Uh, But now my full time gig is working back for the University of Illinois based in Chicago, trying to get the U of I as much publicity in Chicago as we can. But I want to talk a little bit first about radio in the past. And as you've kind of heard from some of my long winded stories, Small town radio is all about making connections, learning how to write, learning how to tell the story. And I think you as teachers would agree with writing and background facts. That's the most important thing when you're learning to write, when you're taking English classes and communications classes, uh, being a reporter out on the street, you make connections and contacts, cover city council meetings and county boards and courts, visit police stations reading police reports, making the news, and again, writing your own news, not outsourcing. And we're going to get to that when it comes to future news writing and future radio reporting in just a few minutes. Back in our day, as they say, and I am allowed to say that now because I turned 50 last year, so I can say back in our day, 
we would <laughs> we would read on the air on the radio obituaries for those who couldn't read it in the paper remember yes school closings i know we're all probably of the age we can remember turning on the radio to see if our school was closed for the day right no matter if we lived in chicago or champaign or spokane washington wherever it might be we would turn on the radio to find our information out whether it's again school closings emergency closings weather-related emergencies if tornadoes or storms or hurricanes even in Florida were coming your way. We had lunch with our contacts and visited local hospitals. There was a connection to the community and to city leaders. And I think radio reigned supreme. It was such a now medium. If something was happening, you wouldn't wait, say, perhaps on a television newscast till the end of the your programming, Dallas or Falcon Crest or Melrose Place, whatever it would be to wait for the 10 o'clock news, you would turn on your radio. And every market, every state, every city has their radio station, their go-to station. WGN was that for the Chicago area. I know PIX was that in New York. And all throughout the country, these radio stations were valuable sources of information. Shifting to radio in the present day, Yes, it's better quality-wise. There's more content. There are pros and cons, I think, to this. The pros, let's start with the positive. We have digital audio. Social media is through the roof. It's never been easier to get a story within seconds. Many of you have sitting right next to you, your, your phones. Radio did used to be more of a now medium. Now you can get anything on your tablet or laptop, whatever it might be within seconds. The cons. Now with consolidation, this goes back to the jobs being outsourced. Very few radio stations go out and cover stories anymore. They'll just make a phone call. Not saying this is necessarily bad, but it, it, it eliminates that community connection. Stations use their TV counterparts to assist as well. They just don't have the big staff that they used to anymore. When I was working in Joliet, we had a staff of six, which was huge at that point. When I moved to WGN, we had a staff of 12. I think now they have maybe four full-time reporters and everybody else is freelance or outsourced. You're hearing new voices, some not from the area. And that tends to show. I'm sure you can pick on pick up on that. We have a town uh, nearby for those familiar displays. Very familiar very wonderful city, just northwest suburbs here in Chicago in the area. And I heard a reporter on one of the biggest news stations in Chicago, WBBM, last week. And I had to stop and I just, I couldn't believe they called it Deplane. Like, like tattoo member from, uh, from Fantasy Island, Deplane, Deplane. He called it Deplane. And I thought, did I just mishear that? And sure enough, he finished out the story and said live from, you know, he said his name. Uh, Steve Smith, whatever the name was, uh, from live from Deplain, and he said it again. I thought, wow, that's unfortunate that a lot of the reporters now from the area are not from here or from whatever city you might be in. And and I wish that a lot of these news stations would hire from within. We have such a core, great group of reporters here from Illinois, as I'm sure all of your other states do too. So I hope going forward, many of them stay local. I think that's very important in a lot of ways. And if 
And if I'm asked, if I'm speaking and anybody has anything that they want to add or say anything, please. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to stop and come on over to you, sir. Hi, sir. How are you? Hi, Andrea. I'm Gray Campbell, president of the Illinois Council of the Blind. Listen to you for a long time. You know, I, oh my God. Well, I, I used to be on website Wednesday nights on WGN, did a segment there. And, and my my greatest friend of my whole one of my best radio friends of my whole life, Orion Samuelson. Quick story, guys, if you don't mind. When I was uh, growing up as a kid, I, when I was in third grade, I didn't go to school till later in the year because we were trying to get me into the Wisconsin School for the Blind, and I would sit and listen to the farm reports with Orion Samuelson. The price of live hogs at fifty dollars. But anyway, um. Andrea, I think one of the biggest downfalls of, of radio, you mentioned it, the, 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 they've kind of taken the local out of local radio. Just this past Wednesday, in, we live, I live in Springfield, and it was the end of an era. Jim Leach, WMAY, did his last broadcast. It's it, more taking the local out of local radio. How do we, a lot of the stuff now is syndicated, as you probably know with all the especially conservative talk shows on, you know, that good or bad and whatever your thoughts are, uh, how do we, how do we get back to more of that local radio? And, and the other thing that drives me nuts about radio is you'll have a reporter say, or, or, or a broadcaster doing a talk show, say on WTMJ in Milwaukee, they're not, they're not in Milwaukee, they're wherever. How do we get back to that local radio? Is it about us consumers demanding more of that or what? think that's a great thank you so much it's a it's a wonderful question i really appreciate that and we're gonna have to set, take a picture afterwards and send that to steve and johnny and you have that voice for radio i'm sure you've been told does he right he has the he's got that voice that deep voice for radio i think that's an that's a the guidance counselors that said you're blind you can't do that isn't that isn't that terrible I, I had someone, I had an English teacher in high school told me, she said, oh, you'll, I said, I want to, I want to do something in journalism and be a writer. And she said, oh, you're not a good writer. She said, my writing wasn't sad enough. Can you believe that? Yeah. And I saw her years later and she said, oh, it was so good to see you. I hear you on WGN radio. She said, I always knew that you were going to be, I said, okay. And I don't want to give too much away. But her name was Mrs. Crab, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. So, but but you know, I I shouldn't say that because years later, you know, we we broke bread and made our peace. And I said, you told me. She said, I know, I know. But uh, but anyway, going back to your question, I do want to address this, and this is why I wanted to kind of break out here and and ask for questions early on because I want to have this discussion with you. I agree with you, and I think the short answer to that is. Yes, it is up to the consumers. This is your medium. Radio is everyone's medium. I'm going to give you a few stats before I finish up too. You know what? I'm going to give you those now because this is just way too important to to talk about. I just want to say to the other great people in when they when they go to the other great medium for radio that gets missed on TV is sports. One of my favorite announcers is Wayne Lee. 
Absolutely. Amen to that too. I'm going to give you a couple of stats. I, I was going to end the program with radio in the future. Do, and I get asked this question. I've been asked this question for years. Is radio going away? Is radio going to be obsolete? I've been in this business since 1991, 30 plus years. I'm not good at math, but I know it's over. It's over 30, right? Quick math. Is that right? Uh, <laughs> close enough anyway. Correct. But uh, I don't think it's going away. No. And here's why. Listen to these stats. And I just pulled these stats. I had the, uh, the broadcast museum uh, pull these for me. This, this story was from one week ago. And it's called, uh, it's weekly United States reach. The, this is the percentage of the American public. When it comes to AM radio, 93% of adults over the age of 18 listen to AM radio still to this day. 93%. Now, those numbers go down a little bit, ages 18 to 34, it's down to 92. Strangely, 50 plus is 92. But listen to this, 95% of Americans between the ages of 35 and 50, 95% choose radio as where they get most of their, most or all of their information. So these stats are great. Now, just conversely, I'm going to give you the TV stats. 88%. I'm just going to do so I won't bog you all down in stats. But 88% of, of adults over the age of 18 have television as their number one. Radio's 93. TV's 88. It continues to go down. Smartphone. Again, this will surprise you. 83%. So a full 10 percentage point of people... Le- or rather a few 10 percentage points lower than that is where folks get their information on their smartphone. Then it continues to go down on their computer, laptop, PC, 50%, tablet, 37%. So just this alone is why I don't think radio is going away. And I'm going to give this link to Carla too, so you can read up on some of these other stats. I just found that fascinating. It says AM radio is America's top reach medium giving it mass appeal among diverse audiences across generations, ethnicities, and gener- and demographics. So I don't think radio is going away. We, they've been saying this for years. This is not going to go away. I'm going to step over here and have... Um, we have a hand raised in Zoom. Okay, should we do the Zoom first, Carla? Do you want to do the Zoom? Yeah, what, we'll do a Zoom, and then we'll go to you, young man. Phil, go ahead. Morning, Carla, and good morning, Andrea. This is Phil Jones coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I, you're talking about the, uh, the uh, old days. I can say that too, because I was in radio for 43 years. And I can tell you when, uh, I started in college radio as you did. And in those days, radio stations, whether it didn't matter what kind of radio station you had, you, uh, they always had news departments. I mean, it, make it, it can be as, you know, as many as maybe five to six people. They were just, it was just so much local news coverage. And it's amazing here now, like, uh, just a few years ago, I was, uh, uh, up a good part of the night one night, uh, listening to WSB radio, although it wasn't the radio coverage. They were simulcasting WSB TV. And that just showed you how much things have changed. But, um, how do you feel about the? I've always thought that the internet is going to really save radio. Radio is not going away, but how do you feel uh, about the internet and what role it plays in radio and keeping it around? 
That's a great question, Phil. Thank you so much for that. Atlanta, quick story. Uh, we have friends who live in Atlanta, and when I was on WGN, they said, we could hear your signal all the way down right by Hartsfield. So uh, cheers to you and everybody out there in, uh, in, in the Atlanta area. Thank you for the question. I do agree with you. I think the internet is going to help radio because think of all of the streaming sources. When I'm home and I'm listening, I am going to put on my laptop just because I'm working on it. I'm going to stream it. I think that actually will help. And especially for farming communities, rural communities, you know, I think when they can't get signals out where they need to be, they will continue to. So I don't think it's going away. And I think the internet will continue to help radio here. Why don't I get to you young man? Um, so my name is Xander. Um, I'm actually probably one of the youngest folks in the room. I'm 18 from West Virginia, but even, even me being as relatively young as I am, I listen to AM radio. I love getting my news from 58 WCHS. DXing is a great thing. I relative, relatively often get Canadian stations at night. And I don't think AM radio, the challenge from vehicle makers we've been hearing about lately um, could potentially be an issue, but, FM radio, television, the internet have all come out, and yet AM radio remains on top in several areas. Even in New York City, I saw recently, top the ratings. The only real issue I see is um, conglomerates owning stations, companies like Odyssey or iHeart. Um, local broadcasters, they're either getting bought up or there's so many frequencies allotted to things like Educational Media Foundation, K-Love, Air One, etc., local radio doesn't have the space to flourish anymore. And it's really sad because you find good local radio stations like 88.1 WTSQ Charleston, and it's just so amazing. But I don't think radio is going anywhere. I think it's here to stay for the foreseeable future, and it's a great thing. Uh, thank you, Xander. Thank you so much, Xander. And, and that's a young person's perspective, which I think is absolutely wonderful. Um, you mentioned these conglomerations. You're absolutely right. In Chicago, there's the Cumulus Media Group, which, Phil, that's, a, I know in Atlanta, they're based there too, uh, is Cumulus, and they own WLS, AM, FM, Odyssey, uh, that's another group, um, Hubbard, iHeart. You're right. A lot of these are merging together. And that, that I again, pros and cons, but if one station wants to, or if one group wants to put, feed more money back into it, that could only be beneficial. And this is an instance where I think staffs, plural, can help one another. For example, Cumulus owns WLS, AM, FM, and Q101. It's an alternative rock station. And if someone can't work one shift on one station, they move to the other, which that is good too, because that keeps all three radio stations, which are in the same building and on the same floor, kind of under one roof, but still flourishing. Um, I believe in the 21st century, especially now, AM is more dependable for so many reasons. It's been used to broadcast emergency information, uh, especially people, as we mentioned, in rural and developing areas to get news, weather, and urgent information. I'm going to step over here and take a couple more questions. I see a lot of hands up in the room, so I'm just going to start over here on the right, and I am going to give you, hi, young lady, how are you? Um, thank you. I, I guess I have more of a comment than a question. Um, in I live in, in the Detroit area, and we have um, WJR, and they um, they have been making a big deal. They're, they're, uh, the guy that did their morning show 
has left the morning show to do uh, an interview show called Focus that's on for a couple hours in the afternoon. And they're making a big deal out of the fact that they um, removed a syndicated um, talk show to put him on this focus program and that they are, you know, it sounds like they're taking a large step to return their station to uh, local broadcasting. Good. Thank you. Thank you so much, Diane. That's a great, that's a great comment and question. Detroit is a wonderful market. There are 6,000 AM radio stations across the country. And honestly, isn't it? And honestly, folks, I don't think that is going to go away at all. I'm going to make my way around to your table. Hello, Donald. How are you? There you go. Good. Thank there, you. Hand it to you. Um, you've been talking about commercial radio primarily. Yes. Um, the young man talking about 88.1. You get down to the bottom of the frequency and you're in the uh, NCE, non-commercial educational. And that's where your public radio and your um, community radio stations are. Now, if you want to get close to home, those are the stations that are going to help you do that. And uh, they are out there in the community. Lots of them are volunteer stations and they're volunteer radio hosts. So um, watch down at that end of your FM dial. But there's also a lot of public radio stations on AM as well, too, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. are fighting the trends. They're not conglomerating across the country and putting all of their resources in one corporation as has happened so much in the commercial radio hours. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Donald. You know, and I'm glad you brought that up, too. And, and I do want to address the elephant in the room is that the some of the car manufacturers have removed AM receivers from their electric vehicles. They are claiming that they interfere with the electric engines. But here's one more stand for you, and you're going to love this one. The number one listening location for radio, number one listening location, any guess? In the car. Absolutely. So Ford is already taking steps to reverse that trend. And I think you're going to continue to see that as well. I'm going to walk around the room and, and get a few more of your comments. Hi, you're right here. Here you go. You can grab that microphone. There you go. Of course. Um, first of all, I just want to say um, that I I do love WGN. Um, I, I um, Sorry, I'm going to cry. Oh, oh no. Um, it just breaks my heart, you know, that, um, you know, a lot of these, you know, radio program, these radio stations are, you know, like just becoming just less and less local, you know, and I mean, like the, the sports, you know, I love listening to hockey, you know, like John and John and Troy on WGN, you know, they do such a great job, you know, describing, you know, d- describing the the hockey games, you know, and, and like, what's going on, you know, when somebody, you know, gets a goal and it's just, I, I don't want that to go away. And like, not only that, but like the news, like that's so important, just everything. And I'm wondering like how, um, you know, for those of us, you know, that aren't directly like involved, um, you know, like if, you know, like for us, you know, that, that are listeners, what can we do to help, like to make sure that this doesn't happen, like that, that, radio doesn't get taken over by i don't know what the proper right. term no, is it but it doesn't become obsolete basically right like what yeah. what's that we have local radio just how can we get involved in this thank I, you thank you thank you thank you that's a wonderful question and you bring up some great i i heard my first hockey game with my dad my parents had season tickets and they went on their first date 
Um, my dad passed away many years ago, but they went on their first date to a hockey game. And I first heard hockey on the radio and I thought, this is so cool. And, you know, we were all, think about it, We were all young when we first had our sports, ex- first sports experience. We're hearing baseball on the radio and hockey on the radio. And, and it is wonderful. I agree with you 100%. It, it's wonderful. Um, like I've never actually attended a Chicago Blackhawks game, but I mean, hopefully I'll be able to do that someday, but just listening, just listening, you know, to, to, to the radio when, when the Blackhawks, the Chicago Blackhawks are playing and, you know, they're on WGN, it's almost like you're there, you know, it's, it is. I agree with you. I think, I think keeping your voice is heard. It is what is what's going to be most important. Either talking to these radio stations, let's talk to lobbyists, let's talk to those who are, you know, enforcing laws in Springfield, whether that be getting a group together, a coalition together, but keep making your voices heard because station managers hear you, you know, the the program director at WGN radio here locally and WLS radio, I know them and have gone, you know, grown up, we've all worked together for many years. They want to hear from you. So I would absolutely keep keep the dialogue open, keep your voices loud and heard because they, there's nothing more than they want to do is keep it live and local too. That's what we hear day in and day out, live and local, live and local. So they want to keep that alive too. I think the the real fight is going to be the federal lawmakers, you know, in Washington, DC, because they're always trying to slash budgets and see how they can save money. But I think keeping the dialogue and the discussion open and keeping your voices heard is what is going to help. Is that a, is that a good, okay. Let's take a question. Good morning. Go ahead. Thank you. So one of the one of the things that those of us who can't be with you all in person miss are the tours. And we would love it if you could give us a bit of a virtual tour or description of what would we find at the Museum of Broadcasting. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad you brought up the Museum of Broadcasting as well. Now here, so there's a little caveat to this discussion. I'm gonna hold on one second while I pull up some stats for my laptop. I'm a stat person too, sometimes, but I think it drives the message home. So the Museum of Broadcast Communications, it's located at 360 North State. It was founded in 1982 by a man named Bruce Dumont, who I know many of you know, Bruce. And Bruce made it a mission to preserve the archives and the legacy of several of these stations that lack the space or resources to save these materials. And yes, I am talking about carts and reel-to-reels and cassette tapes and CDs and mini CDs. Um, And Bruce knew that these materials would be valuable in understanding the history of radio and television. So the building opened to the public in 1987 in River City in the South Loop. In 1992, that's when we moved to 360 North State, which is next to House of Blues, kind of in a crowded downtown area. Um, Unfortunately, last COVID, COVID really changed everything and a lot of things. I'm sure you've heard as, as, you know, your conference has gone on, but um, we were not able to maintain that space because of COVID. We were getting no visit to the museum. And we, at that point, um, had just elected a new board. I joined the board along with Dave Plyer, a man named Ed Ramsey, who's at DePaul University now. And we really are trying to, and, and there's a man named Craig Kitchen and Dennis Green. You probably know these names, Craig Kitchen and Dennis Green from New York, um, who are involved with the Radio Hall of Fame. And we've really tried to make it our mission to now that that space is no longer viable, we had to move out of that space. So all the archives and everything was packed up. It's packed up and ready it's on the move. It's, it's ready to be moved. We just need to find a brick and mortar space for that. But in the interim, I think um, to your point, to your question, um, 
we're going to have much more of an online digital presence, you know, so you'll be able to um, learn more about the museum online while it's in this digital space before it actually goes to a brick and mortar. And the brick and mortar, I believe, will be somewhere in Chicago, whether it's the South Loop or the North Side. But the space itself uh, was 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 big for a downtown space, but small when it comes to a museum. So I think this could only benefit the museum by finding a bigger space to house all of these archives, many of which are, are radio too. Um, and I also have to give a quick plug into the University of Illinois is starting a, um, an, a radio archives program as well. So you'll be able to hear your Orion Samuelsons and all these broadcasters, these, these pivotal broadcasters who have spent decades in this career. Um, so look for that too as the year goes on and probably into 2024 where you're going to see more of these uh, digital archives as, as well. That answered your question. I'll, I'll, I'll walk around the room here. Would you give the um, website that people oh, could yes. go to? Because I'm uh, sorry. Yes, it's, it's very simple. Museum.tv. Museum.tv. Okay. Okay. Hi, Naomi. And um, I've worked in commercial radio, worked in community radio, and now I'm on a non, we're doing a non-com show. Yes, oh. we, we're a team. And anyway, um, so as a blind person, um, it was really hard um, because I had, I had a station manager tell me, I'd give you the music director job if you weren't blind. Uh, oh, yeah. That was, oh uh, uh, yeah, but, but, and, and so anyway, my pet peeve right now is TV news Oh yeah, and it just, okay. We watch, you know, we're from St. Louis. And so, uh, I mean, it's awful. I mean, you can count the mistakes that people make and I'm really curious about the quality of J schools because when we worked in radio, we had a, a news person that was in J school and the sales people would sit up and listen and in the morning and count all the mistakes she made. <laughs> yeah. So yes, pet peeve. I, I completely uh, agree with you. Uh, and shout out to Mizzou because that's a great J school's journalism school for, for those, uh, uh, the J school. Yeah. So Missouri has a great school, university of Illinois. I think it literally goes back to, and U of I is trying to do a lot of this, is hire former reporters. I try to speak to as many classes as I can to reiterate the writing. And that's the most important thing. But I have, I agree with you. I, I have seen that as well. I saw on Instagram the other day, there was a shooting on Juneteenth um, in Willowbrook here. And there was a group who had gathered in a parking lot. And I think 20 people were shot. So the report read, this is how it read verbatim on Instagram. It said, uh, 22 people shot, one dead, 22 not, 21 not dead. Not we, dead. <laughs> we have a hand raised in Zoom. This and this is from a major television station in Chicago. And I thought, do I say something and sound like the, the curmudgeon in the room? But But you're right. It all goes back to these schools need to teach young people writing. That's that's key. You know, not just writing to pictures, writing to just, yes, to write to plain. Right. <laughs> I, I know you. And I want to um, invite all of you too, before we get this last question, whenever you assemble again or gather, we would love to have you at WLS or WGN to see 
right? We can maybe do both in one day. So future, future thought, I'll, I'll just put that out there and get Terry's question. You were talking earlier about the reporter saying the plane, you know, how much mentoring is being done in newsrooms in both radio and television? Does that, does that go on where you would say to the reporter, no, Sorry, you need to say this right. It's Des Plain. Right. That's an excellent question. We had we used to have interns and and most of us know internships, right? You know that internships. Uh, I had several going through school and, and out of school as well. The Illinois legislature in mid 2000s, this is pre-COVID, but they they shut that down. Basically saying, and and this is where I thought it was invaluable for these young people and these young students to learn how to write and learn their craft of radio. But they said that you can't have interns anymore because it would be um, unpaid labor. Uh, So they would not let them do that. them. So, of course, you know, with the big bosses of the radio station, they're saying, oh, we're not going to pay someone. Exactly. We're not going to pay someone to do that. However, now post-COVID. Some radio stations are are allowing internships again, which I think that is that's very important. That's where it's based, you know. Having KMOX, of course, and saying, "Okay, have these ladies and gentlemen." I'm I sorry, I was a little to... long winded, but I'll, I'll be out around if anybody has any other questions. And... Okay, it, and I just want to thank everybody. And again, I could listen to her all day long. We, uh, it's my it's my honor. I want to thank her. It's my pleasure. And thank sorry you. Sorry, I couldn't me. get to all your questions. I wish. Um, Father time or mother time, whoever it is, isn't so mean, but I can't get them to stop. So I just want to thank you. And I want to thank Andrea. I want to thank our streamers. I want to thank everybody. And um, ladies and gentlemen, turn your radio on and keep listening and stay tuned for bigger and better things. Thank you very much. Carla Hayes signing off.